Welcome back to the Ewok Podcast. Today's going to be a little bit different since Robbie is not available to preach. But one of our members has stepped up to the plate and has brought something from the Word of God that we hope touches your life just as deeply as Robbie's teaching. Well, without further ado, here is a message from one of our members. Uh, in Revelation chapter 17, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 17, um, I like to continue in the message that I had before, overcomers. Uh, I talked about the overcomers not suffering the judgment of God last time that we were here. And today I'd like to go on to talk about what an overcomer has in relationship to Pergamos, the church of Pergamos. There was a promise that God gave to them at the end there of what they would receive. Sometimes I think, like I said before, as Christians, we don't take those things as important to us. I mean, we, we live in a, in a world of materialism. We live in a world where we have fancy things and fancy clothes and fancy cars. And we live in a world where we have great houses. And, and here Christ comes and says, I'm going to give you some hidden manna and I'm going to give you a stone that has your name on it. Woo! Now, I don't say that's what Christians do. But you could almost simulate that by comparing what you're going to get from Christ as a gift to what you have now. Hopefully not, but that is something that we could do very easily. Like, we live in a century, well, God, can't you give us that stone that's maybe made of gold <laughs> with our name on it? <laughs> maybe. Or could we have something more than just some manna, some bread? I'm not saying Christians act like that. I'm just trying to relate to you how important it is, this gift that God was going to give to this church. And this gift that he's going to give all overcomers. That's the point. The point is the overcomers. Now, as I said last time, an overcomer is defined in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It's a relationship to Christ by faith. You've come by faith and believe that Christ is your sacrifice for your sins, you've repented, you've asked God to forgive you, Christ has come into your heart, and the Holy Spirit came upon you. But that word overcomer means there's an ending to your relationship. And what I mean by ending, it carries you through to the end. It's not just enough to believe, it's believing with the process of overcoming and the final product. Okay? That's what he's talking about being an overcomer. It's not simply just because I have faith in Christ that I'm an overcomer. Overcomer is the process where you get to the end. You have overcome. You persevered to the end. Okay, that's what makes you the overcomer. <clears throat> we really uh, can't exactly identify the hidden manner in the Bible. But I think I can give you some clues. I hope by the time we're done, I can give you some clues on possibly what this is. Uh, it could be uh, the bread of life, like John chapter 6 talks about. Christ says, I am the bread of life. 
okay? Um, the hidden manna. It's a food that is special only to the believers. We know right here it says that he's going to give it to the church. He that overcomes, I will give the hid, some of the hidden manna. So we know it's spe specifically to the believers. It's not to the world. So it's something very special and, and precious to the believers. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 27, you can see talking about over there, Christ said he was the bread of life in John chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 27. It says this. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. If you go down through that whole text, which we are going to eventually, not right at this moment, you're going to see where Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life, and that we must partake him. We must take him into us. Okay? As you read that chapter. But we're not going to do it right at this moment. It says that it is a hidden manna. Hidden. It's not seen. It has to do with the word hidden, has to do with concealed, has to do with covered. To keep secret. Now, I, I printed this off the website. And it's from uh, simpleanswer.com, okay? And it talks about the hidden manna. And so I'm just going to read this a little bit because I thought it was interesting. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and a stone, a new name written, which no man knows, save he that receives it. First of all, you do not have the hidden manna. Neither do you, neither do I. In other words, it's going to be given to you. You don't possess it right at this moment. It's a gift that's going to be, you're going to receive. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, the overcomers who keep the works unto the end. And that's what I was trying to say about being an overcomer. An overcomer is one who starts out by faith, believes in Christ, trusts in him for a savior, and continues to the end. That is an overcomer. It's not one who believes in Christ, starts out, and then drifts through life and hopes to come to the end and be in heaven. That's not an overcomer. An overcomer perseveres to the end. It fights to get to the end basically. It struggles to get to the end, to be that overcomer. It fights against sin in their life. It wants to be what God wants them to be. Um, to overcome, you must uh, keep, the, keep his works until the end. Now, I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments necessarily. I'm talking about the commandments of Christ by faith, not by works that you've done, that you are saved. But the works he's talking about is like what James says. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And my works will continue to the end. That's what he's talking about. 
Philippians 3.13, brethren, I count not myself to already apprehend. Paul was saying, I don't think myself to already apprehended all this yet, but eventually I will when I get to heaven, when I get changed. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 32 to 34, Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of manna, and omer of manna to keep for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid up before the testimony to be kept. So God said, gather up some of this, put it in an omer, take it and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And keep it there so that it would be a testimony and so that you could see, so that you could see the bread that sustained you in the wilderness from generation to generation to generation. Later, after the Ark of the Covenant was, was finished, this bowl of manna was stored inside of it. In Hebrews 9, verse 4, it says that. Uh, if you want to look at Hebrews 4, 9. It says in Hebrews 4, 9. I'm in the wrong chapter. 9-4. Is it 9-4? Yeah, 9-4. Yeah, I'm sorry. 9-4. Forgive me. Like I said, it's hard to do this. 9-4. Which he had the golden censer and the ark of the coming overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manor, Aaron's rod and budded, and the tablets of stone. In other words, in that covenant, in that ark, these things were placed. And on top of the ark was placed the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, you had the two winged angels who had their wings draped over the mercy seat. Okay? But this was covered. In other words, it was hidden. The manna was hidden from sight. Now, nobody could look in that ark. Nobody could open that and look into it. And so it was hidden. The bread that sustained them in the wilderness was hidden from them. And yet we saw in Exodus, it said, Moses, this is the thing the Lord commands you. Fill an omer of manna to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. Yet in the Ark of the Covenant, when it was placed in there, it was no longer to be seen. It was hidden. Interesting. In, second, in 1 Kings 8, it was written in verse 9, uh, the same thing. You'll find over there when the, the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Solomon's temple, you'll find it says the only two things that were left inside there were two tablets. Okay, the two tablets of stone, which is what? We know them as the Ten Commandments, the written commandments of God from Moses. And that was the only thing left in that when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Solomon's temple, when Solomon built the temple for God. And you'll find that that's what it says in, in, in uh, 
I said 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. You will see it over there. In uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6, you have a time when there these, uh, let me see what the name of the people were. Um, Beth Shemesh, <laughs> family of Beth Shemesh. They decided that they were going to open up the ark and take a peek in. So they started to open up the ark and took a peek in. You know how many people were doing that? 53,000 wanted to take a peek inside the ark. And it says that God killed them. On the spot. For whom <coughs> 53,000 people died at that moment because they wanted to peek inside the ark. I go back to Exodus again. Exodus 16, 32, 34. Put the manor in the ark so that the people can see and remember what sustained them in the wilderness. Wow, that's a contradiction. Isn't it? God telling them to put this in so that they'd be able to see the manna, the proof, and yet after it was in the ark and sealed, you couldn't look in it. You couldn't go into it and just simply look into it. If you did, you'd end up like the 53,000 people, dead. So Israel, from whom the manor had been saved, specifically so that they could see it, was not allowed to see it. And so from the time Moses, this manor was hidden. It was hidden from them. In John chapter 6, verse 48, it said, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus explicitly told us that he was the bread of life. He was that manner, in fact, in that chapter. Jesus was also the Lord that David spoke of in Psalm 110, verse 1, and the God that Moses spoke with on the mountain. Jesus, the real manna, told him. In Exodus 33, verse 20, and he said, thou canst not see my face. Do you remember when Moses went up and says, I want to see you, God. I want to look upon you. And God says, Moses, you can't look upon me. You can't look upon me. I am holy, so holy, it'd be like an atomic bomb. You will be disintegrated instantaneously right on the spot. He says, for there shall no man see me and live. So anyone who saw Jesus in, the, in his full glory, if we looked upon Jesus in his full glory, we would probably die. Not now, because of it. we are going to see him in his full glory someday. Amen. But we're going to have a mortal body, an immortal body. Okay, we're going to be changed into his image so that we can look upon him and not die. See, we're going to have a glorified body too, just like his glorified body. Uh, 
so can it be consequential, uh, consequences, I can't even say the word, that when the men of Bathsheba looked on the bowl of manna, which Jesus, Jesus himself said represented his body, they died. They died because no one can see him alive. But God left the manna details out in verse Exodus 33:20. No one really wasn't, no one really wasn't the right term for what he meant was that none of them, including Moses, could see his face live, however. In 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are the sons of God. Now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I just found it interesting. Jesus told, uh, God told Moses to put some of the bread in the, in the ark and keep it so that they could view it and see that this was the sustaining food that kept them alive in the wilderness. And yet, it was covered so they couldn't look in and see the bread that sustained them in the wilderness. Why? Because it wasn't the bread. Think about it. You think it was just that bread that was sustaining them in the wilderness? No, it was God Almighty. God sustained them. Yes, he allowed them to eat and their physical well-being. But it also says as they traveled through the wilderness, it says their clothes didn't wear out and neither did their shoes. Well, who kept that? God. It says their, their clothes didn't have holes in them. They were not moth-eaten. The shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. How would you like to have 40-year-old clothes that never wore out? Or 40-year-old shoes, man, the, the shoe company would go out of business, right? Okay, let's continue. I thought that was really interesting. And the reason I brought that all to light was because I think it gives us an idea what this manner is in Revelation. Because it uses the word hidden, covered, concealed. And you at Pergamos are going to be able to have some of this manna. It's going to be uncovered. It's going to be unsealed. And you're going to be able to look upon it. You're going to be able to see it. I think this food expresses how important the, overcom the overcomers are to Jesus. The hidden manna revealed to the overcomers. I bet this manner is so good, we should be desiring it now. We should be like little children anticipating to be the partakers of this food. I think it's like Christmas. I remember being a child at Christmas. I couldn't wait to see my presents. <laughs> and sometimes me being the deviant person that I was would get into the presence and know what everybody else, is, what everybody else was getting. I don't say that proudfully. I just tell you the truth. That's who I was. But surprised, anticipating, wanting, desiring, can't wait. Ooh, that's what Christmas is like. I think that's what this manner is like. I can't wait. I desire it now. I want it. And yet Jesus is saying, 
you've got to be an overcomer. You've got to persevere to the end to be able to have it. You've got to continue walking with me and living for me so that when you get to the end, that tree is there. I will give it to you. I will present it to you. Let's go on. And a white stone. Not just a white stone, but a stone with my new name written in it. I got a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. It's personal. That talks about personalness. The personal, how you are so personal to God individually personal and nobody else knows your name it's like a little secret <laughs> ain't that cool that God that loves us so much that he gives us a little secret and says hey that's mine don't you do that with your grandkids sometimes you make them personal I don't mean you make it selfishly but you make them personal I mean I have a little grandson don't we not I but we have a little grandson and we make it personal he's our personal and we do little things that are personal for him and I have 10 grandchildren that I have to make sure that I don't just separate them and make him the personal one but I also make them each individually personal well that's what God's doing with that white stone he said not just a white stone but a stone with your new name on it what's so big about a white stone <coughs> well white is Lucan it's uh, like a light white or a brilliant white. But the stone gives us uh, insight on how precious the stone is. And the word stone is Cephas. Where do we get the word Cephas? Remember Peter? Peter was called Cephas. Little stone. And Jesus says, on this big stone, me, I'm going to build my church. But he called Steve, uh, Peter Cephas. Well, this is a little stone, and it means a little pebble, a small stone, a personal stone. It's not only a great big stone. Here is a big stone for you with your name on it. No, it doesn't stand out. It's personal, something you could put in your pocket, and you could take it out and look at it and say, hey, I'm personal to God. I got a new name. He loves me so much that I am so personal to him. He cares about me. It's a personal thing. It means pebble. The stone, Cephas, is like the stone that over time of use, it was worn smooth by the handler. Over time of use. How many of us are trying to be smoothed out by God? I know I am. I'm still rough. I got some edges that need to be really chipped off. And God is chipping those edges off through trials, through tribulations in my life, through convictions, through the study of his word, through my wife. She lets me know when I need to have a little chipping done. <laughs> right? But it's true. 
Because who knows you best? Your partner, right? Your partner knows you best because you're with them all the time. You cannot hide from them. They know you, and they will encourage you and change you and mold you. And God says, that's what I want because I want to smooth you out. I want to make you something smooth for me, present you smoothness. Well, it's through the handling of the smoothness. How is it used? How was it used in counting? How it was used was it was used as a counting of ballots. It was used for a, a verdict. It was um, a verdict of um, acquittal. It was used with uh, a ticket. Um, it was used uh, for votes. It was used, uh, it was called a vote stone. It was used of a place of one's voice. In Acts chapter 26, verse 10, Paul had a stone and consented to the death of a saint. He says, I cast my vote in, and if you look up the word vote there, it means his stone. I casted my stone. And each individual person had a stone that had some kind of an, either a name on it or some kind of a symbol on it that represented that individual. Okay? So in other words, when he casted his vote, people would take a look at that stone. They'd say, oh, that's Saul. Saul's in agreement. Okay? That's how it was used in the New Testament. When Paul was, stone, was, was agreed to the stoning of Stephen, he casted his vote. He agreed that Stephen, Stephen needed to be killed because Paul was a man who had integrity for God. You may not see it that way, but he did. If you study the life of Paul and you look at him, he had a, such a love for his God that he would do anything to keep it high and honorable. Look at his life. Go through it. Study it. You will see it. To the point where Christ, when he came, he realized that he was doing it for the wrong reason. He was killing Christians. And he found out that his Lord wanted him. And look at the fireball that Paul, the same fireball that he was for God of the Old Testament was the same fireball he was for the New Testament, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't change. The only thing he changed was he wasn't killing people. He was trying to get people saved. He was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to give their life to Christ. He was a fireball. This uh, vote, voting stone, which identifies me, has his name on it, only he now is uh, personally identified to him. What is this stone? Could it, be, could it remind us how we were acquitted from death? The verdict of death was upon us. Is he going to present you with this stone and saying with your name on it, you've been acquitted. 
no judgment for you. Why would I say that? Because if you study the church of Pagamas, they were under great persecution, great suffering. It says that they are in the city of Satan. Why would they say that? Because Pergamus was a centralized system, centralized city that had a lot of false deities. You'll find false uh, deities there, Roman deities. You'll find Zeus. Uh, I forget there was another one, and uh, it begins with an A. But one of the most important ones was emperor worship. Emperor worship was in Pergamus. And so that's where Christ says, you're in the middle of Satan. And through emperor worship, you had to bow down and call him God. And you know no Christian would ever do that. And so they were suffering persecution after persecution. They were coming before the courts. The courts were, were not acquitting them, but sentencing them to death. The verdict was death. You either bow or you die. You either bow or you die. And Pergamus, many of the Christians were not bowing. In fact, it spoke about one here in that text. And it said that his faithful martyr was um, uh, anti an Antipas. Antipas was his faithful martyr, it says. He stood up against them. He stood up against the emperor, said, I will not bow, and he was martyred for Christ. And Christ says here, to him that overcomes, to finish the race, I'll give him the manor, and I'll give him a white stone. And on that stone will be a new name, which is no man knows except him. I believe that stone was a, a stone that allowed you to say, I've been acquitted. I am free of the judgment of Christ. I am no longer going to suffer the penalties of hell, the eternal death. I am free. And here's the proof. I've got a stone with my name on it. I'd like to just take a moment. Because I, I do not know who's here that's saved or not saved. But my question to you is, are you going to receive that white stone? Acquit it? Not guilty? Found not guilty? I don't know who's here that, that, that believes in Christ, who has given their life to Christ. I hope that every one of us have, every one. But I'd like to take you down a little bit of what we would call Romans Road. Who knows what Romans Road is? Romans Road? Romans Road? Who knows what Romans Road is? When you hear somebody say, I'm going to take somebody down Romans Road, do you know what they mean by that? This is Romans Road. In Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, for the sense of the creation of the world and his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power, the Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they know God, they did not glorify him, God, him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We must acknowledge God as the creator of everything and accept our humble, our humble position in God's creation. Also in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, I like to add to that, it says this. <clears throat> Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith is in, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is, number one, you must believe that God is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith. You must believe that God is. That's number one in the creation. Number two, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We all know this verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We must all realize that we are sinners and that we need forgiveness. We are not worthy of God's grace. That is an absolute. So number one, you must believe that God is, and that you can't please him by works, but you have to please him by faith. That's what faith is. I believe that God exists. He is the creator. Number two, you must realize your standing before God is unholy. You are a sinner. God says you are sinners, and that you need a redeemer. Number three, <coughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you must realize that, yes, you're a sinner. Yes, God is real. Yes, God made a provision for you. It's showing God's love. God's saying, I love you so much that, yes, you have. Yes, you are. Now you need to receive. Why? Because the ultimate end is death. Not just physical death. We all are going to die because we're under the curse. God put a curse on this world for our physical bodies to wear out and to die. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying the wage of sin is eternal death. Eternal death is, I went through with this, what, I don't know how many weeks ago, is a total separation from God, from everybody, alone in a place called hell, Gehenna, in darkness, in suffering, in a torment that is felt that will never end. That's the death that he's talking about. A total separation from all things. Love, joy, there is none of that there. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We need to confess that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. From the dead and you will be saved. 
What does that mean? Raised him from the dead. What big deal for the guy raised him from the dead? Came back to life. Is there a big deal about that? Yes, there is. There's a real big deal about that. Because if Jesus had stayed dead, we are most miserable. We might as well go home and have a party. Because we're not going to rise from the dead. So the big deal is, is that God justified it and said, I am satisfied with the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I am satisfied that you paid the penalties of sin. And now, because he was a righteous man, he will not stay dead. And I will raise him up to justify you. Amen. And you have been justified. You have been reconciled because of the resurrection of Christ. Your sins were paid at the death. Your Justification was paid at the righteousness of Christ when he rose from the dead. You became justified before God. You were forgiven of all your sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got that right. Romans 10.13 For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no religious formula for, uh, from L, uh, rituals, you just need to bow your head and call upon the name of the Lord. Realizing that God wants to save you and forgive you of your sins. You simply bow your head and acknowledge it and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And I call upon you for forgiveness. Please forgive me and save my soul. In Romans 11:36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. You need to determine in your heart to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. When you bow your head and you ask Christ to come in your life, it starts a new life. You become a new creation. And the new creation becomes what? Of God. Not of you. Not of me. It becomes of God. I become a new creation in Christ to be obedient to God. To love him with all my heart, soul, and mind. To walk in such a way that's pleasing in his sight. It's not I say a prayer and then I live my life whatever way I want to live. No. I become a bondservant to Christ. You read the apostles when they start their letters. Paul, the bondservant of God. Peter, a bondservant. Jude, a bondservant. James, a bondservant. You see, a bondservant says, I am a slave to my master, Jesus Christ. And what he says, I will do. Amen. If he says, Go to church and be in fellowship with the believers. I will do. If he says, proclaim the truth, go out and tell people about the sins. Go out and tell people that they need to know Christ. I will do. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, I will do. When he says, forgive your brethren for all the sins and what they've done to you, how much more can I not forgive my brother who sinned against me? I look at what Christ has done for me. How much he's forgiven me. Can I not forgive the mistakes or the 
or the sin that has come upon me by my brothers in Christ? I sure can. I have to. Because I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's an interesting word, and I'm not going to get into it now because I'm dealing with the book of Jude, and my mind's going over in that direction, so I've got to pull away from it. It's almost, i got five minutes, and so I need to close up. Um, so the stone is a vindication stone, an acquitted stone. It also is a stone where you will have judicial um, abilities. It says in the Word of God that you will reign with Christ on thrones. And it says to the apostles that you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. It also says, don't you know that you will stand and judge angels? 1 Corinthians chapter... What's the one talking about the uh, legal terms? Is it 11? Chapter 11, chapter 12, somewhere in that area. Chapter 11, I think it is, where they were taking people to court. And he says, don't you know that you guys could be judging this in amongst your body? Why are you going to the outside courts to do this? Don't you know you're going to judge angels someday? See, it's going to be a, 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 a stone of acquitted, a stone of ushering you into the kingdom of God, but it's also going to allow you to be a judge and cast your votes on things that are going to go on during the kingdom. Okay? And so it's a precious stone. It's a stone that is desirable, just like the hidden manna. And the hidden manna is really Christ. John chapter 6. I don't have time to get into it, but if you read John chapter 6 and go down through it, you'll find that Christ makes a reference to himself as the manna. Okay? And as we understand in the Old Testament, which I read to you today, the manna was put into the Ark of Covenant. It was never to be seen again. It was hidden. And so now it's going to be revealed to you. It's going to be given to you at the point of your overcoming. Okay? If you've got some other questions, I've got a lot more information. I just can't get through it today. It's almost 12 o'clock. I've got to get you out of here. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for what you've given to us. Father, we so desperately want people to know your grace and your truth. We want people to come to Christ and know and experience what we have. Father, you do a mighty work. Help us to walk in such a way that's pleasing in your sight this week. Help us to be open to those around us that we might share the gospel and the truth that you have. Father, may we reach out to those in love. May we forgive our brother and Lord. May, Father, we know that those that have trespassed against us, Father, help us to forgive them. Help us to come alongside and do what's right, whether they do right or not. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace, and I praise your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today from one of our uh, members here at the church in light of Robbie not being here. We hope it's been influencing to your life and uplifting in your life. And we hope it just inspires you to push forward towards the prize. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, God bless.